0: Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show.
1: Good afternoon everyone. My name is DeMarco White and I'm your Music Forward host today. For those of you joining us for the first time, Music Forward is a national nonprofit organization inside the House of Blues and Live Nation family with a mission to transform young lives, inspire careers, and champion a more inclusive music industry. We provide artist development and career development programs to inspire the next generation of leaders and innovators. We are excited to bring you another season of industry sessions where we connect our communities to the music industry to discuss careers and trends. We are kicking off the spring season with a month dedicating to knowing your worth, both personally and professionally. And what a better way to get started with today's topic, uh, knowing your music rights. So let's get started. We're so excited to have today's professionals here to talk about knowing your music rights. And we encourage you all to chat and use the Q&A boxes to network and get your questions answered. So without further ado, I want to bring out our guests onto stage. So, Day, Loretta, please join me out here on our virtual stage. Yeah. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Day, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. Thank you for having Perfect.
1: me. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, so There's going to be a lot of just content and conversation and knowledge that we're going to be spinning out today. And so I know we want to get into that. Before we do, please introduce yourselves uh, to our audience. Tell us a little bit about you, your role and sort of the the company that you're representing. Dave, we'll start with you.
2: Sure. Uh, My name is Dave Bogan. I'm the head of third party partnerships at the Mechanical Licensing Collective. I'm also a professor at UCLA for Alpert school of music, where I teach music industry entrepreneurship. Um, and my work is primarily in helping uh, music creators and publishers um, understand and execute um, on their rights. Um, at the MLC, I'm, I'm leading our partnerships and helping us to integrate in the music industry through uh, organizations, key ambassadors, um, software companies that help with music rights and metadata management. Uh, but outside of that, I work closely with um, up and coming creators to help them understand um, that the music they create uh, gives them entitlements and to understand what those entitlements mean and how to uh, represent themselves and and as their own advocates in the music industry in the United States.
1: Awesome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Loretta, same question to you. Please introduce yourself to, to our audience.
3: Hi, I'm Loretta Gatson and I work at BMI. I've been there for a long time. And my job now um, is to uh, curate relationships with publishers. And I work directly with songwriters and composers and, you know, as I mentioned, music publishers. Um, Being in my position, I get an opportunity to hear about a lot of the issues that young songwriters, you know, people in different parts of their career. What are they what are the challenges that they're facing? getting a lot of them started on how to work the BMI system. What is it going to do for them? And um, I also mentor college students every summer. I've been doing that for about 10 years. And what we do in that uh, internship is teach them about the music industry and teach them about BMI.
1: Awesome. So let's sort of get into it and really just talking about sort of basics and what I'm most curious about um, before we talk about actually sort of music rights from the artist lens and sort of the benefits of getting into it and, and knowing them is your individual careers. And so, Dave, share with us a little bit of how you ended up at the MLC and if this is, has been your life's mission and passion and you thought you would be working in this same licensing space as a, as a college student.
2: Um, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> how I got to become the head of third-party partnership at the MLC—it um, all began really as a kid. Uh, you know, being interested in music, um, I was raised as a vocalist. Um, eventually, um, you know, in my uh, tweens and teens, I knew that I wanted to be an artist um, and pursue that uh, any way I could. Um, eventually, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So eventually I moved to Los Angeles when I was 18 years old as an aspiring musician. Um, and uh, I always I also, I also had an interest in business and marketing and, and sort of uh, balanced that interest in the entertainment industry through a number of different pathways. Um, ultimately, I went to uh, UCLA, uh, where I studied sociology and communication studies. Um, and then I got my master's at uh, CSUN, Cal State Northridge, and um, in music industry administration. Um but um while sort of pursuing the music industry, I also ended up helping a lot of my my friends who are also young aspiring artists, um uh, helping them um understand and navigate and think about the music industry, um having had some exposure to it because my family's uh, three generations of music industry and um I ended up starting an artist management company and a DJ management company and a songwriter management company and then an independent label and a publishing company. And somehow I navigated into software and built a couple of software companies that help songwriters manage their copyrights and their publishing and um, wrote research on the music licensing ecosystem when I was in grad school and started investigating um, issues around uh, um, music metadata and music rights and royalties and um, published research and somehow got into developing courses at, uh, at uh, Emerson College and UCLA and teaching at other universities and here I am. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the goal was to be an artist. Um, yeah. And now, you know, I empower artists. Uh, I still work in the music industry, um, but um, I'm super passionate about what I do. Um, and I've been able to uh, kind of work in the music rights and artist empowerment uh, sort of yeah. in different <laughs> ways.
1: Um, I have to say that I've known you for quite a while and I've learned just right now three new facts that I didn't know. And so one, thanks for sharing, but two, I'm kind of upset with myself that I'm just now learning these things. Um <laughs> Uh, and it, but it's also something that you mentioned too, it's not uncommon for artists to continue to pursue that as a pathway, but then learn that the business side is something that they also want to pursue too. So not to knock that out of the realm of things to, to pursue um, in their career, because they also both are possible at the same time. Uh, Loretta, tell us about sort of how you found your way uh, into BMI and has this always been the career goal that you set out to achieve?
3: No, it was not. I was uh, looking for a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was going to school at the same time. I've always been in business management, so when I got um, hired at BMI, um, it was on the business side. Always, I wanted to know how does this work? How do you get how do how does this work with BMI being in the middle, the songwriter and the the uh, the licenses and um that was always my passion always had a passion for music um, mentoring young people was always at the top of my list if someone called and they didn't understand how the ecosystem of the music industry worked especially bmi i was always going to let them understand you need to pay attention to how you're going to make your money um so i i just fell into it and um as I continued to work at BMI, I just decided I'm gonna make this my career path. (laughs) And I continued to go to school and um, continued to study business. And I have uh, have a master's in um, business administration. So that's always been my lane and I never deviated from it. I cannot sing and I cannot write a song. So I'm always gonna be on the business side of the music industry.
1: There. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, it's something that I don't believe is spoken about enough, but like we tell specifically college students to explore all internships because it's equally as important to know what you want to do as it is what you don't want to do. But also just having those internships and always like be sort of intentional in the opportunities that you choose to explore because they can form your pathway. And just like you were sharing now, Loretta, sort of how you got into BNI, you needed a job and then you sort of saw a fit and decide to invest in that company as they invested in you. So thank you for, for sharing that information. I want to continue, uh, just with you, Loretta, and I want you to break down sort of what a PRO is. And then also if you can share not only sort of BMI, but also there's two other major PROs that I'd love for you to speak to as well.
3: Well, I can tell you a lot about BMI. (laughs) BMI is a performing rights organization and, we um, license businesses that play music um, publicly and we in turn are the bridge between the business, the businesses that use music and the, the creators of music. And we make sure that the songwriters get paid and anyone that's using music to promote their business. And that would be uh, live concerts, restaurants, television, cable, airplanes, theme parks, um, just to name a few. They have to pay for the music that they use. And in turn, that turns into royalties for songwriters, composers and music publishers.
1: Yes. Dave, do you want to share with us sort of the the other PROs that are that are out there?
2: Sure, um, you know, ASCAP and BMI um, are the two largest uh, PROs in the United States. They've been around uh, for decades. Um, I believe almost hundred years for BMI and a little over hundred years for ASCAP. Yeah. Um, and um, the uh, and CSEC is another uh, major PRO um, that is private. Um, and then there's GMR and alltrax which are, are are primarily newer uh, uh PROs GMR being the last several years and all track being the last just a you know, couple of couple of months really. Um, these are performing rights organizations are you know have been around um, for you know almost as long as as songs have been uh, copyright protected in the United States. Um, 1906 was the Copyright Act and 1914 was, was ASCAP and um, so you know PROs have been an important part of the legacy of songwriters uh, for decades uh, uh, and there are states and and their grandchildren and so forth so it's very important um, to um, have that kind of partnership um, in your career as a songwriter
1: cool and then tell and then tell us also the difference between the mlc and a pro
2: Sure. So the MLC is not a PRO. <laughs> so a, a, a PRO stands for a performing rights organization. Uh, luckily for us, uh, what we deal with is in our name. Uh, the Mechanical Licensing Collective um, specifically deals with me- uh, uh, mechanical licenses, whereas performing rights organizations deal with performing performing rights licenses um, or performing licenses. Um, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, we're new. Uh, we were just born out of the recent um, update to the copyright act which happened in 2018 Um, the music modernization act of 2018 established the need for uh, a mechanical licensing collective uh, which went into effect Um, uh, effectively we began um, the license that we can administer uh, we became available on january 1st this year Um, so what we do is collect the royalties mechanical royalties From digital service providers such as Spotify, Apple, uh, Pandora, um, Amazon Music, uh, Google uh, Music, YouTube Music, so forth, Uh, we collect mechanical royalties, which sits on the other side of performing royalties, um, and then we pay those out to songwriters and publishers um, as well um, through um, uh, again through the mechanical licensing process. Uh, So it's a little bit different process because we deal with what's called a compulsory license. Uh, meaning, it's a, a license that a music user um, can. Um, uh, it's more of a grant of rights that a music user can acquire simply by uh, following the uh, obligations and and the procedures of copyright law. Um, whereas with uh, BMI, um, you know, they're working directly with um, companies to make sure that uh, companies are 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 following the uh, negotiated terms of licenses that they. Develop and and concert with their uh, you know their, their board, their members, and so forth.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Loretta. What I what I want to spend this time uh, talking about is sort of the journey uh, of an artist and sort of what is that process. I'm an artist and I have a song and I'm ready to share this song with the world and it's out there. As somebody who's representing BIA, what is your advice? What is the first thing I should do?
3: So as an artist. Um, Are you also the songwriter? Yes. Okay. So as a songwriter and an artist, you have a double here, a double win. And what you would need to do is first affiliate with BMI. And you can do that on www.bmi.com and affiliate for free as a songwriter. The disconnect I found um, from my experience is once you affiliate with BMI, you have to maintain your catalog. All right. Yes, and you would have to register each song and have the correct splits for each participant with the correct percentages.
1: Um, and we sorry, I want to I want to pause here. And this may happen a lot throughout this conversation, just because I know this is a heavy topic with a lot of new words for our audience. So I'm going to spend time breaking down everywhere when you're all like, I do this for career, I know this, but for these purposes, I'm going to be sort of interjecting and in, in breaking down. I, I want um I want you to define sort of uh, splits and sort of what is um, what have you seen being sort of the normalcy around Percentages when it comes to splits for songwriting?
3: Well, what I can say is um, it's up to the individuals that create the music to come to negotiate what the splits are going to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And sometimes what I've learned from some of the creatives that I deal with is it's hard to have that conversation in the creative process, but it has to happen. Mm-hmm. At that point, you have to come to a determination of who's going to get what. And I'll use an example uh, of a rap song and it's one rapper, one producer. Usually, if it's only one rapper and one producer, no sample, they would split it 50, 50, but that's not for me to determine. That's for the creators to determine how much of a percentage they would want to allocate to each individual that created that work. Um, Usually the songwriter gets an equal portion for their publishing share. And with BMI, the writer's share equals 100% and the publishing share equals 100%. And they have to equal in order for that work to be processed. Now it sounds a little complicated, but if once you get the hang of it, that's gonna be your key to getting paid. Once we have your work in your catalog, That's how we make the connection for the reports that we receive from music users. This music was used and this individual is entitled to get a 50% share of the money that was collected for that work. Um, That's important. And that seems to be like a major breakdown for a lot of people. They don't either, they don't register their work. They're waiting for someone else to do it. They look in their catalog and I, I would stress maintain your own catalog. And what I mean by that, you either register your own work or you continuously check in the, your catalog to make sure that whatever you've created, if you're waiting for someone else to register it, that it actually gets there.
1: This. Day, I want to ask you because I'm always intrigued by just the support that different artists have. And so I know specifically on this call, a lot of our artists are emerging artists and and independent artists who aren't really backed by a team or by a label. And there are some artists who are backed by a label and have what Loretta is talking about, where they have a team who is making sure that their song is registered, who's checking their catalog. Uh, in your opinion today, if I'm an independent artist and I'm sort of doing everything on my uh, on my own, which you once were, um, what is your advice? How, how should I be tracking my songs? How should I be tracking the usage? How do I how do I look for my catalog in this worldwide web that is so vast?
2: The first thing I recommend is that an independent artist who wants to take um, uh, the music business uh, seriously um, and not just a music hobby. Um, Take some time out and take a, a basic music copyright course. There's some available online. Um, there's a number of articles and, and blog posts. I actually have a free ebook that I wrote for the creative future, which is a nonprofit advocacy group for music uh, for creators of, of all types, but it's called the DIY musicians starter Guide to Being your own label and publisher. And it breaks down. Um, it, it helps you understand what it means to be a writer uh, versus a performer. So an artist, what it means to be a publisher versus a label, and then with those four different hats that you're wearing all simultaneously, you know, how do you navigate the U.S. music industry so that you're collecting your royalties? Um, I think anyone who wants to take their music seriously and the business seriously um, needs to understand the fundamental framework of the music industry so that they know that BMI exists, they know the MLC exists, and that you have to establish a relationship with these organizations to be able to collect your royalties um so that's that's the that's the first part right something that um it's it's not something that most uh, music creators have exposure to um in their early stages it doesn't really uh come up come up until you know their music pops off and then it's like oh wait there's some something out there called royalties or oh, there was a license that I didn't have for the sample that was in my song and now someone else is coming after me now. Um, Or I got a record deal offer and um, I need to understand, you know, what I'm signing up for or a publishing deal offer. So just a basic, you know, music copyright or music publishing uh, course, that's that's my number one recommendation. Um, Secondly, um, is um, kind of have put some thought into where you would like your career to go. Not every artist wants to be signed to a major label or publisher. Um, Some artists enjoy being completely independent. That means different things. That means different types of resources. It means different speed at which your music might be released. It might mean different um, types of of strategies for generating traction around you as an artist and your music. Um, So just kind of have a thought, think about some of the artists that you follow um and maybe do some research. Put a list of your top ten artists that you really really like, um, and then go figure out who's their label and who's their publisher. That might give you an indicator of of the types of companies that you might want to be a part of. Um, you know, I, when I used to work with um, independent artists, I worked with a lot of independent artists who were, um, you know, self-published artists or self-releasing artists um, who weren't necessarily sure. Why they couldn't tell me why they wanted a major deal, but they knew they wanted one. <laughs> right? but um it's important to kind of know that because you have to understand what you're you're giving up in exchange for those deals um, yeah. in, terms of your, in terms of your independence and your ownership and copyrights and your control over your creative expression. um all that stuff matters. And I'm not saying that you know either route is bad. Um, yeah. because there are successful, there are successful uh, uh, songwriters who are represented by major publishers and independent publishers. And there are successful songwriters who are self-published because they're our board members and our committee members at the MLC. Um, So um, there there are different career paths for you as an artist, uh, but you should take some time and, and kind of do those two things. Get a basic understanding of music copyrights in the United States, and then just think about, you know, what kind of path you might want for the next five to 10 years. That could change and it's okay. change. Yeah. Um, but if you have no goals whatsoever, um, it's hard to build a plan. Yeah, um,
3: fair. Totally agree with that. Um, getting a basic knowledge would help you be more successful with collecting your royalties. And just to uh, echo what Dave was saying, um, you could also create your own publishing company at BMI.
1: Mm. Talk People. to us more
3: about that Oh, no problem Just like as if you can sign up as a, a BMI right songwriter or composer You can also go online And sign up as a publisher You would be an individ, independent publisher um, You could make your Publishing company a uh, corporation But you will still be the sole owner You can get into a partnership Partnerships have Different laws um, So it's best to read up on who has the authoritative rights on certain business decisions if you decide to go into a partnership. Mm -hmm. From my experience, I've seen a lot of bands start a a partnership and open up a publishing company and the band is no longer in existence. And one person is still collecting the royalties and um, still making all the business decisions and no one else knows what's going on. Now, I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing, But just be aware of
1: it and be aware of. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you can't sign up as an independent publisher on BMI.com
1: yeah i mean so what are you both are touching on is definitely something i want to dive deeper into which is really around the the concept of, of agreements right you both mentioned agreements licensing contracts uh and we know that that sort of comes with the territory uh and we always see these what i'll call these 2020 stories of artists who have entered into an agreement and did not know what they were signing and then they are they become sort of the taylor swift or the jojos of, of the industry because they didn't rather Read the the fine print, or uh, they just were young and didn't and didn't know what was happening. Um, and I don't want that to happen to our people who are on this call today. So let's dive deeper into agreements, Loretta. When you and I were speaking this week, we talked about sort of just even licensing agreements, like a, a digital kid presents. And so it's so easy that when you sign up for digital kid, that it's like, do you agree to all this? No one's reading all that fine print. It's like I agree, and you move forward. Share with us, one, your opinion on, on the topic, but also uh, bring, bring light to just some of the things that are highlighted in those agreements that artists should be paying attention to, such as the payouts when it comes to domestic and international um, revenue streams.
3: What I can tell you is about an experience I
1: had. Yes, please share. <laughs> we want love to. stories here. I'm, I'm next,
2: I'm okay. next, <laughs> great. <laughs>
3: Um, you, I've worked with a producer who went online and bought a beat and did not read the contract and signed up with BMI that he was the producer for a, a, a rap record that became very popular. And what he didn't realize that in that contract, he gave up all his performing rights. And so what that does is it presents a legal issue. And um, I say all of that to say, you have to read, no matter how excited you are to get to that next part, you have to read all the fine print, know what you're giving up, what you're signing up for, and are you entitled to register, register that work and collect performance royalties? You do not wanna put yourself in a position to get sued. And you, I mean, that's when all the attorneys start calling me and saying, this person has no rights to this music. It gets a little sticky.
2: (laughs) Day, how about you? Yeah, so I've seen many, 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 many cases. (laughs) Um, So I used to manage songwriters and artists, but I also built software companies that songwriters and artists use to manage their catalog and to register their works to societies like BMI. Um, so I've seen the splits and I've seen uh, uh, writers claim uh, ownership and, and, and stuff, including uh, works that were created from samples or works that were created from um, leasing a beat or buying a beat. Um, but I want to talk about a recent example that happened this year, uh, actually last year, um, over the, actually over the last several several months. But you know, there was an artist, like most artists, um, independent artists, who, um, um, he had two main issues. One is he similarly he bought a beat, and he he thought he bought the exclusive uh, to the beat, mm-hmm. and um, you know made the song and put it up on uh, streaming services, and the song actually took off and and started generating a lot of streams from him. It was a really re- well written song. It was really you know nicely nicely done, um, but. Someone else claimed a uh, copyright infringement um, and had the song taken down off of the streaming services, which means during that time, he had to, uh, with his team, um, you know, dis- you know, handle a dispute on who owned the, the copyright in the works. Um, and that took several months, which means during that time that you know, that music was off of the streaming services and not generating income for him and also affecting his, uh, his, his, uh, his, his play count. So that was one issue that had to be resolved. And it took lawyers and a manager and a lot of money to get that resolved. Second issue is it came back online, which is great. Um, but then it would also continue to do well, well enough for a major, a major label to offer a record deal based on that record. Only for him to learn that the service that he's selected to upload his music through the aggregator had a clause within the terms of service that he agreed to that allows them to collect royalties on that distribution for two years from the date that he signed up, even though he had only been up for nine months and he already got a record deal offer. So now he had to get out of the uh, deal that he made by simply clicking, "I yes, I agree to terms of service, right? That was considered entering into an agreement with the aggregator. Um, he, he had to, uh, either come up with, with a way for uh, um, him to get this music back because the label that he just signed to, he actually just, you know, signed a label to, needed to redistribute it under their name. Um, but often what, what happened is he, they, off, they had to buy back, he had to buy out the future royalties. So pay in advance the distributor for the royalties that they would be missing out on by him moving the record from that distributor to the label. Wow. Um, which was you know the, the offer was six figures uh, yeah. for an independent artist who was not making six figures you know they extrapolated and, and calculated a future forecast of what it could make based on a couple of months of success um and uh, uh ultimately had to get the major the, the label involved and do a deal with the aggregator so also at the end of the day it was it was a it was a it was a mess that got figured out eventually but it cost them a lot of time a lot of headache a lot of money um because you didn't read the terms of service yeah. you didn't know that by clicking yes i agree to the terms of service that i'm agreeing that regardless of how successful this piece of music becomes for the next 2 years you get this service to collect royalties on that distribution regardless of what happens in the meantime um, and it's 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 about being aware that and i said i tell this all the time to artists any any service that you sign up for that touches your money you need to read the terms of service. You wouldn't go into a recording contract or a publishing deal without reviewing the contract or having a lawyer review the contract or a manager review the contract. You shouldn't sign up for an aggregator uh, who's responsible for uploading your music to a service, to DSPs, to digital service providers. Like, mm-hmm. You shouldn't sign up um, for anything that's going to touch your money without you reading the terms of that relationship. And that term is spelled out in your terms of service on the website. Yeah.
1: There's a, there's a lot there. Go ahead, Loretta.
2: Read all of it. I mean, yeah.
3: every, all the fine print. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Not just the first page and the last paragraph.
1: Right, fair, and there's also I feel like that that's just that's just in life in general. It's just not in music rights, either, anyway, but life in general. Um, but the I think this is also important, though, just to go back to what you were mentioning earlier about split sheets and and being in that room and how sometimes it can be awkward. But it's not just those verbal agreements that you should be making. You should be writing down every agreement and every iteration of it, it needs to be written down somewhere and signed by those who are who are agreeing to it. Because just as the story that they just shared, like had there been something, well, this is sort of different, but had there been something on in writing, uh, if you're talking about writing a song or producing with the rapper that you were talking about, Loretta, had there been something written, it could be a whole, a whole different situation. So I just want to stress that point with our audience. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit because we're talking about sort of the different revenue streams for songwriters and artists when it comes to royalties and music rights and something huge that just happened uh, with the MLC specifically. And so Dad, I want to uh, cue you up to share this amazing news and what it means for the music industry and what it means for artists and songwriters.
2: Sure. Uh, So in 2018, we passed, uh, uh, Congress passed the uh, Music Modernization Act um, after many years of negotiation uh, between stakeholders that included Uh, performing rights organizations, record labels, publishers, digital service providers, um, advocacy advocacy organizations for songwriters, and so forth. Um, So we passed the Music Modernization Act, and that made an update to the Copyright Act, um, uh, including uh, three parts, Title I, which is an update to um, how songs are licensed for digital service providers in the United States, and then title two and title three, which has to do with uh, sound recordings or pre-1972 sound recordings and uh, and with producers and engineers, which we're not gonna dive into. Uh, but one of the things that um, uh, the service, um, so that, that the legislation did uh, was created a pathway uh, for uh, publishers and songwriters to um, um, have a streamlined method of receiving um, sort of unmatched, Um, or past due royalties associated with the usage of music um, that may not have been properly um, or attributed or correctly attributed due to a number of reasons. Um, We call that the uh, unmatched uh, royalty. So, for example, if I write a song and um, I'm using an aggregator to upload my music to a DSP like Spotify or like Apple Music or like Amazon Music. Um, And I have not registered my song with the types of companies that are and organizations responsible for matching those usage reports that Loretta talked about earlier to the song ownership information so that they can then calculate and pay out royalties to the owners. If I have not done that part, registered the works, um, or someone hasn't done it for me like a publishing administrator, Then. As far as the music industry ecosystem is concerned, the song doesn't exist because there's no record of its existence. Um, If it hasn't been registered with the Copyright Office and it hasn't been registered with a society of of different types, um, then the song doesn't exist from uh, from an administrative record-keeping standpoint. It may technically exist because it's in the music and it's on a service, uh, but it hasn't been registered. Right. It's like, for example, if I tell I give this artist, I give artists example all the time. If I have a nine to five job and I have to clock in and clock out and I go to work every single day for 40 hours a week, but I never clock in and clock out. I can't get paid for those hours at work because I never, uh, there's no record that I actually worked. Right. So when you're creating music um, we have to have records in the music industry that the music exists so that we can match up um, the earnings against that music to who should be paid out for for that music. Um, So anyways, uh, for many years and for lots of different reasons, um, the industry as a whole has been accruing unmatched um, um, earnings Um, and uh, now the MLC, our organization is responsible for receiving this historical unmatched data uh, from digital service providers um, who are of using or, or, or operating under uh, the new blanket mechanical license. So we just announced on our website um, that amount, which is over $424 million, um, and that you know we are obligated under um, the statute, the Music Modernization Act, to match that historical data um, to uh, the copyright owners and then therefore pay that out for the purpose of paying that out. So that's going to be a process. We need the help of the songwriters and publishers um, who need to join the MLC. Just like they must join VMI, uh, you can join us for free. Um, as a songwriter, you can use, if you have a publishing company that you set up with BMI, you can use that same publishing company to join the MLC yeah. um, and to use um, the IPI number that BMI signs to you as a, as a publisher um, and set up an account and start registering the same songs that you register with BMI. So you register the same songs for MLC. Yeah. Um, every time you write a song, you go to your BMI account, you register it, you go to MLC account, you register it. So when we receive reports about the use of that music from digital service providers, BMI pays out one type of royalty called performance royalty, mm-hmm. we pay out the mechanical royalty. So as a songwriter, you're getting your full royalty profile from your, your two organizations, your, your MLC and from your uh, PRO. Now, there's other types of royalties out there I'm not going to dive into, but I do want to say that because we're recording. (laughs) But uh, in in regards to MLC, you know, we're paying out the mechanical license uh, uh, royalties and um, you have to sign up. But yes, those back royalties um, or unmatched uh, historical unmatched data uh, was a big news. It was big news. It's on our website. You can uh, go to uh, uh, themlc.com and learn more about uh, the historical unmatched uh, data. Yeah. So with, go ahead, Loretta.
3: There's one piece of information that they mentioned that I want to kind of hone in on. Yeah. And an IPI, the IPI number is critical. It's a universal identification number to an individual and to your music publishing company. And you should always know that number so you will not get mixed up with another person. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking from experience that
2: absolutely. <laughs> um, let's let, so, in the music industry, there are different types of music codes, um, and these codes are unique identifiers to mm-hmm. identify parties and assets um, mm-hmm. and contributions surrounding a piece of music. Um, so, if 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 me. Um, Loretta and yourself uh, all co-wrote a song. Um, we're going to have a unique identifier for our, for our name called I, I number interested party identifier. Um, and then um, I might have a publishing company um, and that publishing company will have its own unique identifier as well. Uh, but the song that we all wrote on will have a, its own unique identifier as well called an ISWC code mm-hmm. um, or ISWC um, Inter- international standard work code. So these are identifiers um, that are that's used in the publishing industry so that we can make more efficient the process of identifying and um, disambiguating um, people and assets for the process, for the purpose of, of allocating for the purpose of attribution and then ultimately allocating royalties. Um, so you need to know when you join BMI, what is your BMI member number and what is your IPI number? Um, yeah, I, you know. it's important. <laughs>
1: I want to take um, a question from our audience. And this, and I feel like Dave, you might have answered a little bit of this in talking about just the new um the new new the new news on what's happening with the MLC uh, and, and paying out these songwriters and artists. But Jen Martinez um asked, really around uh is it possible to collect retroactive royalties? So if she has a song and had it on SoundCloud or Bandcamp or whatever it might be, one of these free, free platforms and it got played at a concert, uh, but she hadn't registered it with a, P, with a PR or w- with an MOC, uh, is it possible to go back and sort of a- ask, ask for those funds?
2: Um, for most organizations, you can collect retroactively. Um, there's going to be a difference in how far back uh, you can go based on a number of factors: um, the type of use, the actual company that paid out the royalties in the first place. Um, for example, um, in the film and TV world, you know you may not be able to go back as far as you can for a digital service provider, um, so or a game. Um, you know, so there's different statues of limitation on how far back you can go. Uh, for all types of royalties not only on the publishing side but also on the sound recording side you have sound exchange for example Um, so for the for the mlc um, we just launched uh, right so our license our license just became available january 1st and we will be paying out royalties on a monthly basis beginning april Um, so for those who uh, have been earning streams on interactive services like Spotify and Apple Music and Pandora and so forth um, starting January 1st this year going forward, um, most of that, most of those royalties will flow through uh, the Mechanical Licensing Collective starting April. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, in regards to everything that happened prior to January 1st, 2021, that is what the big historical and uh, un- unmatched royalties announcement was about. Mm-hmm. I posted in the chat, by the way, so everyone can click on the link. And Thank you. I'll go to that later, but that so that's the details about that. And you can go re, read up on that. Yeah,
3: I can tell you in regards to a PRO, it's in the contract. We're only going back three quarters, uh. so again, that goes to reading what you're signing up for. One of the things that's also in the contract is that it's the songwriter's responsibility to stay on top of. What they're collecting, what they're not collecting, or if you have a publisher who makes the business decisions, they're supposed to also keep on top of what you're collecting. So it's best to know what you're collecting and what time period. We have a nine month lag on when we collect royalties, when we pay out royalties to the time that we actually get in the information. So if you're not paying attention to your catalog and what you're getting paid for, you're only subject to getting three quarters of back pay.
2: Right. I I think that's a great point to make. Mm -hmm. um, um, Because sometimes artists don't know when they're receiving payment. um, You just look at your statements. It tells you from what period that statement that that payment comes from. Right. So if I had a song that was released in January, um, then nine months later, is when you, this is what Loretta is saying, that you will start to receive payments if you earned uh, uh, eligible uh, right. activity in January. Uh, for the MLC, we have a 75-day uh, gap. Uh, mm. So if you were um, in January, then it's, again, it's April. Um, so that's a little, little bit faster. But, and then it's, uh, then it's a monthly basis. So February would then be May, and then March would be uh, June. Uh, so it's a monthly basis with a 75-day gap.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Uh, the, I mean, you are sharing so many great things today. And, and Jen says thank you to you both for answering her her question in our chat. Um, I wanna take some questions from our audience and we've been getting a lot in our Q&A and we also have some of our uh, youth participants who are going to come on screen and and ask you some questions directly. And so our first participant is going to be um, Jackie who is attending USC and is eager to uh, ask you all a question related to today's topic. So I'm gonna bring Jackie on out to the stage and uh, let them do what they do. Hi, Jackie, how are you?
0: Hi, doing good, how about yourself?
1: doing very well go ahead and ask your question first introduce yourself and then go ahead and ask your question to our panelists
2: today
0: thank you hi my name is Jackie I'm currently a student at USC and I have an interest in the music industry so my question for you all is what resources would you recommend to someone new in the industry who is looking to learn more about music rights and its complexity
3: Um, I'll go first because I know Day has a lot to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I would suggest getting some books. There's a a book called this, um, this business of music. I hope I'm quoting that correctly. Um, interesting information. I think if you learn the basics first, you will, um, be able to understand what role you want to play in the music industry. I would also suggest that you attend panels and seminars so you can learn a lot about um, the different roles, the challenges, um, real-time information about the music industry. And um, I think you get more of a hands-on feel of what's going on.
2: Day? Um, no, I absolutely agree. Um, one of the very popular books and um, Music industry courses, music business courses, is the all you need to know about the music business by Donald Passman. Um, this has been taught um, at universities across the country um, at undergrad and grad level, uh, graduate level. Um, it's sort of you know uh, you know one one of the uh, sort of music industry bibles, and then in a the sense that it gives you this broad foundation um, and. So that's that's one in terms of a broad foundation. Um, obviously I'm going to go ahead and plug my ebook again because <laughs> it's a, it's a quick read I made it for easy digestion it's it's under eighteen pages of actual reading um, and it's it's a checklist um, so it's it's more of a you know here's what it means for you to be a creator and here's organizations you need to join as a creator in the United States um, so it's more of a checklist and I also give you some um, examples of of how um, it works when you're collaborating with people who are self-published or who have a publisher, um, like what those splits might look like. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's more of a short read, but it's, it's very fundamental. Um, there are tons of these type of webinars, uh, especially now more than ever. Um, so be on the lookout for, uh, uh you know, webinars, um, you if you follow me on social media, I, I'm, I speak pretty frequently. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of one resource of, of finding webinars, but there's many, many, many more, uh, than the ones that I participate on. Um, and there you know, there are, there are some groups on, I, I think there's some really important groups on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, that I tell my students at UCLA to join, um, because in those groups, you can ask questions like this, um, to people who are Music industry professionals, but also people who are are also emerging in the music industry and want to know about things such as internships um, or job opportunities, entry entry level job opportunities for 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 new grads, scholarships, Music Business Association, um, House of Blues, uh, Music for Foundation has several scholarships. Um, so there's scholarships, there's internships, there's entry level jobs, there's online webinars, there's workshops, there's Thought leaders who have social media accounts who are very active, so all of that is going on right now. Thank you both, thank you, Jackie.
0: Thank you.
1: My uh, I want to bring out our, our next participant, uh, Starlin, who will introduce themselves, but also another great youth participant at Music Forward, uh, looking to get their career started uh, in the music
2: industry. So, Starlin. Hey, so how are you? Hey, how
1: are you? How are you? Doing very um, well. What is your, introduce yourself and then also your question for our panelists.
2: Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Estarlin. I am a student at Providence College. Um, I, I'm coming from Providence, Rhode Island right now. And I'm a musician and filmmaker from the Boston area. Uh, my question for both of you is, what is the most challenging part of your job? And why do you find your job important despite all the challenges that come with it? This industry.
1: Let's start with you. Yes.
3: Um, The most challenging part of it is dealing with disputes. Um, No, that's... Well, there's many challenges, let's say that. (laughs) Uh Just thinking about my my day today, um, dealing with disputes and um, trying to get the songwriters and composers to understand their rights and how to avoid disputes, Um, mainly because of most of the disputes start with uh, copyright infringement, using someone else's work without their permission. Um, If those things could be avoided, you would probably um, have a better experience in the music industry just know what you can use. Do not use other people's work without their permission. Um, know what copyright infringement is, and um, you know, process your music from a genuine basis. Know that you have to give credit to everyone that's a part of that project. That's one challenge. Hey, how about you? One
1: challenge.
2: Um. I don't know. I mean, my, I I'm not gonna say my job is easy, but it's it's literally my role was created based on my background, uh, which makes me really passionate about what I do, um, and enjoy, and I enjoy what I do. So the challenges uh, seem more um, uh, like like welcome uh, uh, parts of of you know of what I do. Uh, that being said, I, my role is head of the third-party partnerships, which is uh, uniquely a role that requires a lot of networking, and I'm, and I'm, my personality, is, as you know, is is enjoy being very social, and networking. Um, so this pandemic right now is probably the most challenging part of my role because I can't be at the conferences, being face to face with colleagues who you normally, you know, use conference as a way to uh, kind of break bread with, with with people who you've been emailing every day and uh, be on the phone with every day. Um, so um, being that my role is to establish relationships on behalf of the MLC, um, to do that uh, virtually um, is, a, is a challenge. Now everyone's dealing with that as well, but the MLC is an organization that was formed during the pandemic, uh, whereas everyone kind of transitioned into it. So I've never even met my coworkers um, because we've never worked together. We were all hired during the pandemic. Uh, so that's the most uh, challenging part.
3: Interesting.
0: Thank you both for sharing. Sarlan, thank you for being
1: here today. I trying to find the, the unmute button. I feel, I feel your pain. Uh, thank you both for sharing. We're gonna take, uh, we're gonna, I wanna bring on Phoebe, who is our social media producer extraordinaire, uh, but also will be asking questions based off of um, some questions that we got from our social uh, media platform. So Phoebe, go ahead and come on out uh, and let's do this.
0: Hi. (laughs) So so yeah, as, as you said, I'm Phoebe, I am the social producer for industry sessions. Um, and I was wondering, uh, when you're approached about the usage rights for your music, whether it's for like a film or a commercial or something, how do you like appraise your music and decide what you should be asking for in terms of money and all of those things?
2: Well, um, I actually recently helped an artist uh, during the pandemic uh, last year. It was an independent artist who did a guitar cover of a popular song and uh, an ad agency reached out to him to use it in a T-Mobile commercial. And he'd never, he was a student and never put out music professionally. Um, it was a YouTube video of him. And, um, and it was the first time he had that kind of uh, approach. So like you, he wondered like, how do I even, what do I say? <laughs> you know, How much do I charge? Um, it's it's first of all in these books that we mentioned the business of music and Donald Passon books they actually do a great job of giving you some ranges based on industry uh, customs. Now it is based mostly on uh, on major um, uh, label uh, music or major publisher music, um, but they do help kind of give you some ranges of like this is how much something would cost or be paid for in a film if it's an independent record versus if it's Rana, you know, so there are some guidelines. That being said, there are a lot of companies out there that help with sync uh, for film and TV. um, And they can help with some of that structure. Um, They do have a fee um, or some kind of a commission structure. uh, But it it helps because not only are they helping with, you know, the pricing, but there's also the contract terms that you may not know what to put in there. What happens if I come to you and say, Hey, I'm an independent filmmaker and I love to put your music in my film and I get 200 bucks. Like, okay, great. And then it goes to Sundance and then it gets picked up by Paramount and then it goes, it gets distributed around the world and you're never getting more money, right? Mm-hmm. Your contract needs to say that, okay, well, if it gets this big then I need more money. And if it gets this big and, and the box office still becomes this, I need more money. You won't, you won't know that um, unless you have a, a lawyer or you know an experienced artist manager or some kind of service that knows that these are the terms that would normally go in those type of deals. What do you have next?
0: Yeah so I have one final bonus question uh which is I was wondering if you had any fun behind the scenes stories and if you got to like work directly with any well-known artists or labels any stories there?
1: Loretta, let's start with you. Oh, yeah,
3: I, <laughs> I'm fortunately um, during my career, and I think this is what got me super interested in staying forever. <laughs> I was able to um, be a part of the production crew for the R&B and hip hop awards. So I would work on the red carpet and um, meet all the stars and all the songwriters. Um, a lot of people love being on the red carpet. So um, that's a exciting part of working in my industry um, and listening to their personal stories. Sometimes we would actually go to dinner together with some of these um, songwriters and uh, you know producers and seeing them in their natural element. It's it's exciting. They're just regular people, you know. So I never had the groupy thing in my in me. So just yeah. hanging. With people and and just being yourself and having a good time, that's an excellent part of my job. I love it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I came out here as an aspiring artist, but pretty quickly, um, sort of in my early twenties, shifted towards the business side, which I've been in for, for the last uh, several years. But um, yeah, I've had exposure to a number of, of emerging and established artists. Um, I've had different roles. Um, in and around the music industry, I previously worked in retail and, and as a head of marketing and strategy. And and through that, I did um, um, some partnerships, more brand partnerships, you were know, around merchandise and and tours and sponsorships. And that was a different perspective of artists as as brands, not just their music, but you know their brands being on sneakers and t-shirts and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool to. Um, I mean, I've been in the studio with with artists. Um, and you know, like the writer said, I mean, they're people, right? They at one one point, they no one knew who they were, and they were writing music in their in their in their bedrooms, um, and you know, eventually, you know, everyone knows who they are, yeah. or they're on their or or they're on their way to that, um, but they still need that help, <clears throat> um, and you learn that a lot of artists are um, much more um, humble and uh, insecure than you would uh, think based on um, their uh, uh, appearance in terms of social media or how they show up in social media, um, which actually makes you um, like them more because they become more uh, real to you. Um, and, And then also sometimes you build friendships with people and you're thinking like, well, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm friends with such and such (laughs) or, and it may not be friends, friends, but it's like, I got their number and I can, yeah, we, we hang out with each other. They actually know who I am. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks Phoebe.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So we're approaching the end. And so I just want to, um, I just want to let everyone know in the audience because we've got a lot of questions, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry that we're not able to get to them, but this will hopefully this helps you all out, is that we have tons of panels coming up and programming happening every week, and so uh, engage in those, and maybe some of your questions will be answered through the content that we share. Uh, Day, Loretta, thank you all so much for being here. And just sharing this knowledge and making music rights fun and and sharing this knowledge in such an engaging and colorful uh, way and special uh, shout out to our youth participants who came on uh, to ask you these questions directly.